Turn in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 32, please. Numbers 32. But the word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Numbers 32 and the 23rd verse. Numbers 32, 23. But if ye will not do so, behold, ye have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. The nation of Israel is a strip of land that lies north and south at the eastern end of the Mediterranean Sea. When Moses brought the people of Israel out of Egypt, they circled around to the far side of the Jordan River, which also runs north and south, and proceeded westward to cross the Jordan River and take the land of Canaan. They did not come straight from Egypt into Canaan, but wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and circled around up near the city of Jericho. While they were there on that eastern side of the Jordan River, two tribes saw the land and said, it's great for our cattle, we would like to stay right here. And so Moses gave them permission that they could stay there in their tribal inheritance. It was two and a half tribes, Gad, Reuben, and half the tribe of Manasseh. They stayed there. But when it came time for the ten and a half tribes to cross the Jordan River and take the land of Canaan, they had committed that they would go and fight with them. They would build some temporary houses and pastures and and, uh, barns and so forth for their flocks and herds and families but they would go and fight with the other Israelites. And so this conversation here and these words are to cover that commitment on their part. But if you will not do so, if you do not join in wholehearted military exercises with the other ten tribes to gain the land of Canaan, then you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. Every child should grow up with their mother teaching them these precious eight words. I'm thankful I grew up that way. Be sure your sin will find you out. And I want to deal with that verse and those words today. Look in your Bibles now at Judges chapter 9. And some of you may have read this in preparation last evening. Judges chapter 9. Moses gave those two tribes quite a warning by telling them that it was your fathers that did a similar thing when they were here on this side of Jordan and they sent spies into the land of Israel and those spies came back and gave them, gave them a report that the land had giants in it and the cities were walled up to heaven. And so they didn't take the land and the Lord had to kill them all in the wilderness. And so Moses reminded them, don't try that again. But if if you don't take that land with them, you've sinned against the Lord, be sure your sin will find you out. I may say that a few times in the next few minutes. Be sure your sin will find you out. You cannot cheat against the God of heaven and His religion and His commandments and get away with it. If you think you're getting away with it for a little while, I'm preaching this sermon for you because I'm going to talk about the timing of the Lord's judgment. Judges chapter 9 is the story of Abimelech. Abimelech was a bastard child of Gideon. Gideon had him by a concubine or a half-child. Gideon had 70 sons. Chapter 8 tells us about that. Gideon was the man that took out the Midianites. Mighty man of valor, the angel told him when he first appeared to him. He's in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 for judging Israel. 
And he died in chapter 8, and he had 70 sons that were basically ruling over Israel at that time. Now Abimelech is the son of the concubine, who's a half-brother to these 70. And he goes to the men of Shechem and seduces and entices them into joining him in taking over the reign of Israel. And he takes a few vain and late persons that he hires. Isn't it something? There's low-class men and there's high-class men throughout the Bible. There are princes and there are perverts. And Abimelech was a pervert. The only people he could get to follow him were those he had to pay. They were late and vain people. But he took those late and vain people and went to the city of Gideon and he killed all 70 sons of Gideon on one rock. And the men of Shechem helped him do it. And you can read the whole chapter, Judges chapter 9, the whole chapter, and it is a long chapter, is about that event. But I want verses 22 and 24 as I'm reading this. Now one son gets away because he goes and hides in a back bedroom or wherever his name is Jotham. And Jotham issues a curse against Abimelech, his half-brother, and the men of Shechem that helped him. And the curse, I don't have time to read it. It's amusing reading. It's very dramatic. It's about the trees of the forest asking the olive tree to reign over them. And the olive tree doesn't think he's worthy of such a role. And then the vineyard, then the vineyard, and uh, the other tree was the fig tree. And then a bramble came along. you just got to read and look at the... Jotham says a bramble decided that, uh, yeah, he'd take the job, referring to Abimelech. And so then Jotham issues a curse that fire should come out from Abimelech and consume the men of Shechem, and fire should come out from the men of Shechem and consume Abimelech under this parable that he's telling. And I don't, I don't have time for it. But you have time for it. That's the wonderful thing about preaching this way that I am right now. You get to go home and read Judges 9 and enjoy it like I have several times. 22 through 24. I was provoked and upset when I got to verse 21. I want them to tear Abimelech into pieces. And you should. Killing 70 brothers for no cause at all except you want the kingdom. Verse 22, when Abimelech had reigned three years over Israel, and I just stopped. I just stopped there. Jotham had issued that curse immediately upon the event occurring. Now God had inspired this curse because God brought it to pass just the way the curse was issued. And there's Jotham. So he issues the curse, he's righteously indignant, and he's right in being angry against Abimelech and the men of Shechem. But then a week goes by and nothing happens. A month goes by and nothing happens. It's summer vacation. He's out of school. It's the fall. It's the end of the year. Winter comes. It's New Year's Day. And then it's New Year's Day again. And then it's New Year's Day again. I'm thinking, where's the God of Elijah? Where's the God of Gideon? Where's the God of Jotham? And so the Lord convicted me that you and I needed a reminder on His timing of things. When Abimelech had reigned three years over Israel, the God of heaven, if we were to ask Him to list the reasons why He took three years, it would probably be longer than we could read in a lifetime. Because all the factors of all men and all reasons are in the mind of the God we deal with. But we trust Him. 
And it took three years. Jotham was probably frustrated. Now I was frustrated reading it, but not in a bad way. I just want to, I just want to humble myself before the Lord and say, Lord, how could you let him get away with it for three years? But I know that the wheels of divine justice, they may turn slowly, but they do grind small. And when God judges, it's going to be the best judgment you can imagine. And the rest of the chapter is about the judgment. Let's read. Verse 23, Then God, after three years, then God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the men of Shechem, and the men of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech, that the cruelty done to the threescore and ten sons of Jeroboam might come, and their blood be laid upon Abimelech their brother, which slew them, and upon the men of Shechem, which aided him in the killing of his brethren. Let me chase one little side rabbit for just 10 seconds. It call it says 70, it says 70, it says 70, it said 70, but it's 69. I just want you to understand that the Lord can round off things and he expects you to understand it was 70, but one got away. Just... You can, there's not a verse in the Bible that you can't read that there's not profit in. There's not any word that you can read in the Bible that if you'll understand that the whole Bible is a whole and you'll maintain its internal consistency. I never want a translation to come out that changes it to 69 because that 70, when it's truly 69, will help you in many other places in the Bible. But only if you're thinking and, and love the Word of God and every word that He's given us. There's the story of Abimelech and Shechem. You can read it for yourself and get all the details. The need for this lesson, the human heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. People think that they can get away with breaking God's commandments and cheating on His religion and cheating the Lord and nothing's going to happen to them. Something is going to happen to you. And it's going to be serious and it's going to be horrible and it's going to be appropriate for the crime. Now a woman dropped a millstone out of a city window and crushed the head of Abimelech. You can read the, you can read the details of it. You know, they crushed his head. It's really too simple of a way to go, but I trust the Lord in the matter. That it was done the right way. Men believe a couple of different lies. Sins committed in secret will never be known. Look at Psalm 94. They think that they can hide their deeds from the Most High God. What folly! But we're all tempted to think that. You know, things we do in our thoughts, things we do in our home, things we do only with our friends, we think nobody sees. God doesn't even see. Because no one else sees and because no one else questions you, you you might think that God's not questioning you. He questions you with His Word, and He's questioning you and He's questioning me right now with this sermon. Be sure your sin will find you out. I may not know what your sin is. I may not know how many there are. You may not know what mine are, mine is, or those sitting next to you. That doesn't matter. This is between you and the Lord. Be sure your sin will find you out. Psalm 94. Let's get rid of the idea that sins committed in secret may not be seen or known by God. Bear with me as I read 11 verses. They're too good to spare. The first 11 verses of Psalm 94. O Lord God, to whom vengeance belongeth, O God, to whom vengeance belongeth, show thyself. Lift up thyself, thou judge of the earth. Render a reward to the proud. Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked triumph? How long shall they utter and speak hard things? And all the workers of iniquity boast themselves. 
They break in pieces thy people, O Lord, and afflict thine heritage. They slay the widow and the stranger and murder the fatherless. Yet they say, the Lord shall not see, neither shall the God of Jacob regard it. Understand, ye brutish among the people, and ye fools, when will ye be wise? He that planted the ear, shall he not hear? He that formed the eye, shall he not see? He that chastiseth the heathen, shall not he correct? He that teacheth man knowledge, shall not he know? The Lord knoweth the thoughts of man, that they are vanity. The idea that God doesn't see, that God doesn't know, that God doesn't hear, is vanity. Be sure your sin will find you out. The second lie that men say is, well, God sees it, but God's more merciful than you make Him out to be, and I won't be punished for my sins. Deuteronomy 29. I'll not be punished for my sins. They're not that bad. God sees my good parts. God's a God of love. God's a God of mercy. He isn't going to judge sin the way you make Him out to be. I live in the New Testament. You're talking about the God of the Old Testament. And so forth and so on. I won't be judged for my sin. Deuteronomy 29, verse 18. Lest, and I hope there's not one among us, lest there should be among you man or woman or family or tribe, whose heart turneth away this day from the Lord our God, to go and serve the gods of these nations. Lest there should be among you a root that beareth gall and wormwood. And it come to pass, when he heareth the words of this curse, that he bless himself in his heart, saying, I shall have peace, though I walk in the imagination of mine heart, to add drunkenness to thirst. The Lord will not spare him, but then the anger of the Lord and his jealousy shall smoke against that man, and all the curses that are written in this book shall lie upon him, and the Lord shall blot out his name from under heaven. Be sure your sin will find you out. Here's someone who's blessing themselves in their heart saying, I can get away with it. Much more could be, oh Lord. The book of Amos chapter 9. I'm tithing some verses to you, but they're good. Oh, our hearts are foolish. And if you say to me, well, I never thought either one of those two lies, then my next question for you is, then why do you sin? Because whatever lie you're using to justify your sin is more stupid than the two that I've just raised. There's no alternative to that. Amos 9, verse 1, I saw the Lord standing upon the altar, and He said, Smite the lintel of the door, that the posts may shake, and cut them in the head, all of them. And I will slay the last of them with the sword. He that fleeth of them shall not flee away, and he that escapeth of them shall not be delivered. Now listen to this, if you think you can get away from God's judgment. Though they dig into hell, thence shall mine hand take them. Though they climb up to heaven, thence will I bring them down. And though they hide themselves in the top of Carmel, I will search and take them out thence. And though they be hid from my sight in the bottom of the sea, thence will I command the serpent and he shall bite them. And though they go into captivity before their enemies, since will I command the sword, and it shall slay them, 
and I will set mine eyes upon them for evil and not for good. This is the God of heaven. This is the God that created you. You owe Him your life. Men don't want to hear about this God anymore. They want to go and hear some praise band and some goofball up there doing the chicken strut, telling them that everything's fine, and go get another cup of Starbucks from the lobby. They don't want to hear about this God, but this is what the Bible is warning us about. Be sure your sin will find you out. God is omniscient. He sees everything. Look at Jeremiah 16. Jeremiah 16 and verse 17. It doesn't matter whether it's in your bedroom, in a text message, in your heart, in the innermost thoughts of your mind. He sees and knows it all. Jeremiah 16, 17. Mine eyes are upon all their ways. They are not hid from my face. Neither is their iniquity hid from mine eyes. Look at Jeremiah 32, 19 in the same book. We are turning the pages of Scripture so that God can speak to us and tell us, be sure, be sure, your sin will find you out. Jeremiah 32 and verse 19, Great in counsel and mighty in work. This is speaking of the Lord. For thine eyes are open upon all the ways of the sons of men, to give every one according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. You cannot cheat or compromise on God's religion and his commandments and get away with it. God is just. He's going to punish. Look at Deuteronomy 32. He's going to do it in his timing. It is a matter of hand joined in hand. The wicked shall not be unpunished. You can collaborate with anyone you want. You can get whatever friends you want. But you will be punished by the Lord. God executes judgment and vengeance in His own time. Deuteronomy 32, 35. This is the text that Jonathan Edwards took for his great sermon in 1741. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. To me belongeth vengeance. God is speaking. To me belongeth vengeance and recompense. Their foot shall slide in due time. That clause was his text. For the day of their calamity is at hand, and the things that shall come upon them make haste. So even when it doesn't look like it's making haste to us, in the opinion of God it's making haste because He is going to bring it to pass. Every one of us needs to ask, what in our thoughts, what in our speech, what in our private lives is, lives is against the Bible, is against what God's told us to do, be sure your sin will find you out. And so I call upon you to humble yourself today and repent from whatever you've been doing wrong and turn away from it and destroy it in your life and do what is right. Amen. Be sure your sin will find you out. If we turn to Genesis chapter 4, let me give you some examples of, being, of your sin finding you out. Cain killed Abel. In Genesis chapter 4, God appeared to Cain and said, Where is your brother Abel? Why did he ask that question? Why didn't he say, are you having a good day today? How are the flocks today? What do you think of the beautiful sunshine today? Why was the question, where is your brother Abel? Abel said, I don't know where my brother is. Am I my brother's keeper? His blood is crying out to me from the ground. Now see, a murderer thinks that once he's killed someone, well, that person can't do me harm any longer. Well, his blood was crying out to God. Because God can hear the blood of a dead man. 
How's that for your sin finding you out? When the Lord got done with Cain, Cain said, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Cain was a pretty tough guy, but his punishment was greater than he could bear in his opinion. Just keep that in mind. Be sure your sin will find you out. When the angels came into the city of Sodom, came to the house of Lot and rescued him and took him out of that city, why did they have to do that? And why did he end up in such horrible misery? Because he committed a sin of pitching his tent towards Sodom. He chose a subdivision where he could provide for his family. He chose public schools or, or other items. And I'm not saying any public schools are wrong. I'm just trying to tell you. He chose to compromise with the world and it cost him everything. The Bible says he pitched his tent towards Sodom. And the Bible says immediately there, now the men of Sodom were sinners exceedingly before heaven. Because they were Sodomite faggots. Lot pitched his tent near them, moved in, joined their city council, let three of his daughter marry, daughters marry their sons. He lost everything. His wife turned to a pillar of salt. His three daughters were burned up in the city of Sodom. His three sons-in-laws were burned up in the city of Sodom. He lost every physical asset, every personal asset, every bit of his investment portfolio. And he ended up in a cave, not a house. And his two daughters were pregnant by his incest. How did it all start? What sin did he commit? He pitched his tent toward people that God considered to be sinners exceedingly. And if you don't think sodomites are sinners exceedingly, you have a problem. Either in not fearing God or your sexual orientation. Because it's a corruption of nature. It's an abomination. It's horrible in the sight of God. And Lot made a compromising move in that direction and God judged him severely for it. Jacob let Dinah, his daughter, go out to play with the world's girls. She lost her virginity, her boyfriend, her future husband, and everything because of a mistake by a father to let his daughter go hang out at the mall. You say you're getting awfully strict. What do you think? Can you tell me something good that happens at the mall? I've preached a whole message on it before. Just go read about it in Genesis chapter 34. How Dinah was lost. Her virginity was lost. Korah opened his mouth and said, You know, Moses and Aaron, they're not the only ones. There's other holy people in the congregation. Now that's speaking out against God's appointed leader that was over Israel at that time. What happened to Korah? The earth and, and all those that were following him. The earth opened up her mouth, swallowed some of them, and fire came out from the presence of the Lord and burned up the rest. Be sure your sin will find you out. I can promise you that when Korah was opening his mouth with his 250 princes of Israel, they were all cheering him on. He had such camaraderie as they poured down a few cold ones and talked about the fact that Moses was taking more upon him than he should have. It felt good. He had a united front to go up against Moses. And there was 250 of him and only Moses and Aaron. But remember, there's someone else that isn't seen and be sure your sin will find you out. And God opened up the earth in a whole new thing and swallowed Korah alive. Burial alive wasn't invented by pirates. Burial alive was invented by the God of heaven. Achan thought that he could steal from the city of Jericho and go hide it in his tent. Thirty men died because of that. And then they started casting lots. There's twelve tribes down to Caleb's tribe. Of all the families in Caleb's tribe, 
Caleb's family. Of all the members of Caleb's family, not Caleb, I don't mean Caleb, I mean Achan. I hope you've all forgiven me because you all knew that from the beginning anyway, that it had nothing to do with Caleb, that it had everything to do with Achan. Achan hid Babylonish garments and gold and silver that he took out of the city of Jericho where he was told not to take anything, and he went and hid it in his tent. But see, there's someone that sees when you dig a hole. There's someone that sees when you hide something. There's someone that sees when you put it under some old sweaters in your bottom drawer. There's someone that sees when you hide it in the back of your closet. Young people, yes, of course I'm talking to you. Who do you think I'm talking to? You and your parents. The Lord sees it all. And so they cast lots and it came down to Achan. And Achan was stoned and burned. Him and his family. Everything that belonged to him. Stoned and burned. Be sure your sin will find you out. What happened to Eli? How did Eli die? He he fell off a rock and he was a very fat man, the Bible tells us. He fell off and he broke his neck. He broke his neck because he had heard the news that his two sons had been killed in battle that day and that the Ark of the Covenant was taken by the Philistines. Now why did all that happen? And that's not all of it. That's only getting started in God's anger against Eli. Was Eli a decent priest? Yes, he was. Was he a good father? No, he wasn't. What should he have done to his two sons? Killed them. They were so wicked in Israel. He rebuked them. He told them, boys, you shouldn't be doing what you're doing. But he didn't restrain them. And the Lord judged him severely. Be sure your sin will find you out. Do you remember when Samuel told Saul when the Philistines had gathered, wait seven days and I'll be there to offer a sacrifice before you go into battle? Well, here's Saul waiting six days and 23 hours and 59 minutes and says, the people are starting to lose interest in staying here with me for this battle. His words were, I forced myself. I forced myself to offer a sacrifice. As soon as he killed it, who arrived? Is that the way it happens sometimes? But can it happen three years later when the Lord arrived with Abimelech and Shem and the men of Shechem? It can take a little longer sometimes. For, for Saul, the Lord didn't always take too long. Sometimes he did. But Samuel arrived. David thought he had his adultery and murder covered up quite well. But there was one man that knew about it in Israel, and it was the man that counted the most. It was the prophet of God named Nathan. And he walked in and told David a parable that got David seriously aroused. And David ordered the murder of the culprit, the criminal, in the story that Nathan told, and then Nathan said, Thou art the man. Be sure your sin will find you out. Absalom despised his father, and the right man found him at the wrong time, hanging in the wrong place, in a tree. Joab found him. Every other, every other man in Israel would have probably have spared his life because of the commandment of David, but not Joab. And Joab thrust three darts through his heart. Be sure your sin will find you out. Do you remember Gehazi? Elisha's servant? He heard Naaman offer Elisha all this stuff. And Elisha said, no, I don't want any of it. And so Naaman went back toward Syria and Gehazi waited till his master was occupied with something and ran down the street and said, ah, some visitors have come and my master's changed his mind. How about a little stuff? 
when he got back to the house and he opened the door and came in, you know, this has happened to kids and teenagers every time. I remember the first time I drove on a public road that I, I was five years old and had been told specifically, do not ever ride your bicycle on a public street. So the first time I got my Gehazi spirit up, I went out on the public street named McGregor Road between Dexter and Pinckney, Michigan. And no sooner had I pulled out onto that road and made it about 10 or 20 feet than my father arrived in his car. How in the world could that have happened? I remember it as clear as yesterday. And being the oldest son, yes, thank you, Dad. Be sure your sin will find you out. Gehazi comes back to the door thinking he's going to go inside and put it in the bottom drawer of his dresser in the back of his closet. And there's Elisha. Where'd you go? Oh, it was ugly. So who got Naaman's leprosy? Gehazi. Be sure your sin will find you out. I don't really want us laughing. You know, you're, we're laughing a little bit because the Lord does find our sins out, doesn't He? But I want you to be thinking about whatever sins you have. And if you say to yourself, I don't have any, I ask you to look a little deeper and look a little harder and ask the Lord to help you look to see if we can't search out our lives and find out wherever we might be sinning against the Lord and have Him help us get rid of those sins in our lives. I have many, many, many more examples, but I want to move on. Children hide sin from parents. Men hide adulterous thoughts. Families create public facades. God will expose them all. Be sure your sin will find you out. Remember, God is always in the sight of those in authority, and children ought to consider that very heavily. You will be found out. Hypocrisy, the greatest of all sins, only only allows short joy to its foolish victims. If you read Job 20 last night, it's a wonderful chapter. The joy of the hypocrite is short, and the triumphing of the wicked is but for a moment. Did you read those words? Of Zophar the Naamathite in Job chapter 20, they're ferocious words about what God will do to those who commit iniquity and think they can hide from Him and get away with it. Where are you cheating or compromising in your life? Because God will judge it. And God will judge it for sure. And God will judge it severely. He is long-suffering. The only reason it hasn't happened yet is because He's long-suffering for you to repent. Or he's waiting for you to sin more so that he can punish you more severely. That's one of the times, one of the reasons God waits. Just like a wise parent does. When a wise parent sees that a child has a problem in a particular area, they may let them go a little further in that particular area so that they can make it a more definite lesson for that child. God does it all the time. Is your marriage all that it should be? Are you training your children the way you should? How about your finances, your spiritual exercises, your thought life, your speech, loving the brethren, maintaining prayer in your life? Every one of these things God will judge, and He'll expose you for it. Each father and mother better do their job as parents or pain is coming, because be sure your sin will find you out. And on and on we could go. Where are you cheating or compromising the Word of God? What about the timing? We may expect God's immediate judgment, so we cry out in prayer sometimes, Where is the God of Elijah? You've heard me say those words. It has been said that the wheels of justice turn slowly, and that is true of divine justice as well. 
but they do turn and they grind small. Do not let God's silence or lack of judgment mean that He's approving of your lifestyle. It is His long-suffering which should lead you to repentance. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 9 and verses 15, when you can sin and nothing happens and you're convicted about it, God is allowing you a chance to repent. It should be called salvation. So we don't want to fret too much about God taking too long sometimes. I want to tell you my real and total perspective toward the three years of Abimelech and Shechem. I am glad for God's long-suffering of three years because God's shown that long-suffering and mercy to me. And He has shown that long-suffering and mercy to me many times. And I'm thankful for it. And I want you to realize the delay is the opportunity for you to repent. You know, you may be able to get away with bad financial management when you're young, but every year that you go on in life, it's going to be shown up more and more because you're going to be farther and farther behind those practicing proper financial management. If you're a parent, you can get away with it when they're single digits, and I've told you all this many, many times. Any average man can have a family of 10 to 20 single-digit children and bring them in here with their hair combed and a decent set of clothes on and fill up two rows of RPUs, and it looks like he's a good father. But just give that man 10 to 15 more years, and if there's any compromise going on at home, if there's any AWOL fathers involved, if fathers aren't doing their job, it's going to come home to roost. Just like with Eli. When they're young, it's easy to cover. It's when they get older, if they haven't been given any Christian character in their training. Oh, the long-suffering of God. Isn't it wonderful that when Jonah preached in Nineveh, he said, 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And that allowed the Ninevites to repent. Be wise. God's judgment may be of a sort that doesn't match your limited perspective of judgment. When you wonder, why isn't God judging? Remember, there's different reasons for God not judging as quickly as you think. Living without God is worse than being killed. God let Saul live for many years before David took the kingdom. Some would think, well, why didn't God judge him? It was horrible judgment. From 1 Samuel 13 on... Saul was told that God had chosen another man to be his king. Do you know what it would be like to live with that? That is worse than death. Do you know what it would be like to have the Holy Spirit taken from you and given to your competitor, the one that you are jealous of? That is worse than death. But see, you don't see that when you're just looking for something external. You're forgetting about what's going on inside. And it doesn't matter what facade they put on in public. You know, King Saul at every annual feast day or every big event would have looked like he was happy as king. But inside, he knew that there was a man in Israel that God loved more than him and that God had taken the Spirit from him and given to that man. Remember that kind of stuff when you're thinking about God's judgment. God's allow, God allows more sins so that He can judge more in the end. Do you know why in Genesis 15, now I have mentioned that a few times today, Genesis 15, that's the chapter where Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. A few verses later, God told Abraham, your, your seed is going to be strangers in a land for 400 years and they're going to be evilly entreated and then I'll bring them out. But I have to wait 400 years because the wickedness of the Amorites is not yet full. So there's a timing issue, isn't there? What is the timing issue? How many years? 
between when you think that God rejectors should be judged and when they were finally judged. 400 years. And why was there a 400 year delay? So that they could get worse and worse and fill up their sins so that when God killed them, every man, woman, child, and animal, it was justified. You say, is that in the Bible? Several times. Why did Jesus say to the Jews of his generation, upon you shall be brought all the righteous blood from Abel to Zechariah? The 70-week prophecy in Daniel chapter 9 is about them filling up their transgressions by crucifying the Lord Jesus Christ to justify what took place in the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. If you, are, if you have a sin in your life right now and you're getting away with it, God is giving you a chance to repent. And when you abuse His repentance and His long-suffering, He can be adding to your sins to judge you more ferociously. It's taught in the Bible. It happened to the church of God in the case of Israel. Some wonder almost angrily why God didn't kill David for his adultery and murder. But when you look at David's life and you, and you measure the last 30 years of his life and all the pain and grief that he went through, you know, in some ways it was worse than death. And there's also a whole lot more going on in David's life than just that one particular event. And you need to remember that. That God's able to weigh all of that in a, and bring the perfectly appropriate judgment down on a man like David. God's judgment can get worse, much worse. Do not presume of others or yourself that it is over. Here's how, here's how this reasoning goes. I know that I've got this sin. I just can't give it up. It's too, it's too much fun for me. And I know God's judged me. I lost my job, and I believe that I lost my job because of this sin. But, you know, losing my job, I can go get another job, and I'm going to keep my sin. Stuff like that. That's how they reason. Could be a job, could be a child, could be a spouse, could be health, could be finances. It could be a lot of things. But the reasoning is, I can handle that. I'm not going to give up my sin. I just want you to know, be sure your sin will find you out. God's judgment can get much worse. Do not foolishly say, I can handle the chastening. No one that's been truly chastened can say, I can handle the chastening. They do not want the chastening. Some timing. How long did it take for Adam and Eve to, to be confronted about their sin? Immediately. They sewed fig leaves together and who appeared in the garden calling out for Adam? Adam! Where art thou? Isn't that something? Think about that. There's nobody else on earth. And you have just committed the first sin in the human family. And you know that you're guilty and you know that you're wrong and you're ashamed and you're making fig leaves to cover your nakedness. And immediately there is God walking in the garden calling your name. I'm calling your name on God's behalf as his ambassador right now. Do you want me to use your name? Adam, where art thou? I'm hiding over here because I'm naked. Who told you you were naked? No time at all in that particular matter. When David moved the Ark of the Covenant the wrong way, and people accuse us of fretting about details that don't matter, they haven't read the Bible, or 
they've got a heart full of rebellion. Because God does care about the details. When David and Uzzah moved the ark the wrong way and Uzzah reached back to stop that ark from trembling because it looked like it was going to fall off of David's new ox cart, how long did it take for him to die? The Lord did it right then. And David was scared. He had 30,000 princes of Israel moving that thing. It was one giant parade. You've never seen a parade with 30,000 princes in your life. You've never seen a parade with one prince in it. How long did it take for Judas to betray the Lord Jesus Christ and then for his sin to find him out? I want you to think about a few of these and their timing. How long did it take? Immediately. As soon as he saw that Jesus was condemned, he went and threw his money back in the temple and went out and hung himself. And when he hung himself, he didn't work quite like he had planned for it to work, and it dashed his bowels across the field. That is what you get for playing with the devil who told you you can make 30 pieces of silver. Where are you playing with the devil? The devil is called Apollyon in Greek and Abaddon in Hebrew in Revelation chapter 11. Both names mean destroyer. How long did it take for Ananias and Sapphira for lying to the apostles? Immediately they fell down dead. Acts chapter 5. How long did it take for Herod in his presumptuous pride when he made a speech in Acts chapter 12 and they said this is the speech of a God, not of a man. How long did it take? Immediately he was struck with worms by the angel of the Lord. When Sennacherib made fun of the gathered, Jerusalem, the gathered Jews in Jerusalem, how long did it take place? Just a couple of days. That night, what happened to his army? They died, all 185,000 of them. Then he went home with all the shame of losing an entire army for no cause, no explainable reason. We were outside besieging the city of Jerusalem, and I got up in the morning, and every single one was a dead corpse. How big do you think the victory parade was? The VJ parade, Victory Jerusalem, back in the capital. Then he went into the house of Nisroch, his God, to find out what went wrong, and his sons came in and killed him. Is that a bad way to end? How did it all start? Making fun of the God of Israel. Do you know what the God of Israel said? The daughter of Zion hath laughed thee to scorn. I love that God so much. But if we love Him, let us keep our lives pure because we've been given more than Sennacherib was ever given in the way of understanding and knowledge about Him. How long did it take for Nebuchadnezzar to be put out to pasture? Do you remember from Daniel chapter 4? After Daniel told him, break off your sins by repentance that there might be a lengthening of your tranquility, how much tranquility did he get? One year. At the end of 12 months, Nebuchadnezzar was walking through his palace and saying, look at all this glory that I've built for myself. And right then, the words came from heaven that it was over. There was three years with Abimelech and Shechem. In the middle of David's reign, there was a famine in Israel. You can read about this in 1 Samuel 21. I'll put this outline out there as quickly as I can. 
In 1 Samuel 21, there's a famine in David's reign because of Saul's false zeal in killing the Gibeonites. When God the Holy Spirit left Saul, and, God, and Saul knew that God was with David, he tried to make up for it by going and killing the Gibeonites. The Gibeonites were that nation from the city of Gibeah that when the Israelites came into Canaan, they realized they're going to get annihilated unless they do something crafty. So they got old moldy bread, old shoes, old clothes, and came to Joshua and the elders of Israel and said, we, we come from a very far, 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 far away country, you know, obviously out of Canaan. Will you make a covenant with us not to kill us? And they made a covenant. And be, they shouldn't have made the covenant, but because they made the covenant in the name of the Lord, God expected them to stand by it. And they did stand by it. For 450 years until King Saul and in his blind zeal to try to do something impressive, he went and killed the Gibeonites. And David had to kill the rest of Saul's sons in 1 Samuel 21 in order to make peace with God for a sin 20 years earlier. All of that was to tell you 20 years. I want to tell you about a God that doesn't forget. Why did he wait 20 years for his long suffering? Saul could have repented for 20 years. Or as long as it was in Saul's reign, Saul could have repented, but he didn't. He waited until the moment was just right in Israel. He let Saul accumulate sins. Remember, Saul just kept on sinning. Who did Saul go, be go to before his last battle? The witch of Endor. He let Saul fill up his wickedness in his life. 20 years. Joseph had some dreams, and he told them to his brothers, and his brothers hated him. How long did it take? 25 years. 25 years later, those brothers stood in Pharaoh's court, and Joseph sat on the throne, and they were bowing and scraping before him. 25 years. So when you look around at others that sin, a nation that sins, your sins, don't presume that you are safe. Remember that there's a God in heaven who said these eight words. Be sure your sin will find you out. From the time that Samuel told Saul that God has sought for another man for the king of Israel, it took 30 years. From the time Joab killed Abner until Solomon killed Joab, it took 30 years. Plus, I'm not going to go into these stories. They're fabulous stories. God and David never forgot what Joab did to Abner. 30 years using a man because he was very good at his profession, the best, and then killing him because 30 years earlier he had killed a man. How long did the Lord Jesus Christ show mercy to Israel after they crucified him? 40 years. And was that message spread to every Jew? Was that gospel the kingdom preached in all the world for a witness? They could have. They should have repented. 40 years. Was God going to forget the death of his son? Not a chance. How long did a Pharaoh arise that did not know Joseph 
and persecute the Israelites before he was drowned in the Red Sea. At least 80. Because Moses was born in a time when they were throwing out their young that they would not live. He was born. He spent 40 years in the court of Pharaoh, 40 years in the backside of the desert, 80 long years God was waiting. In the end, did He punish Egypt severely? Very severely. How long did Babylon get away with raising the city of Jerusalem and destroying Solomon's temple and taking the Jews captive? Seventy years. This one I have to share with you. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 2. I'm almost done. 1 Kings chapter 2. If you go home with these eight words, you go home well enough. Be sure your sin will find you out. If you'll be thinking about the fact that sometimes God's judgment may take a while. And the first use of that while should be to repent. And the other use of that while is God is going to make it worse for you by letting you sin further in your rebellion and lack of repentance. Remember back with me in 1 Samuel. You're at 1 Kings, and that's where I want you. 1 Samuel chapters 2 and 3. God sent a prophet to Eli and said, Because you only rebuked your children and you did not stop them from doing wrong, I'm going to destroy your entire family tree. The last man that is left is going to get fired from the job of being a priest for me and he's going to beg for bread by the better man that I'm going to put in his office. And it was, it's a long prophecy. And it's wonderful to read about it. And it's horrifying to fathers. 1 Kings 2. I want you to see some of Solomon's initial acts of business. 1 Kings 2.5. This is David speaking to Solomon. Moreover, thou knowest also, 1 Kings 2.5. This is, I want verse 26. This is 80 years after that prophecy to Eli. 1 Kings 2, 26. And unto Abiathar the priest said the king, this is Solomon, get thee to Anathoth unto thine own fields, for thou art worthy of death. But I will not at this time put thee to death, because thou bearest the ark of the Lord God before David my father, and because thou hast been afflicted in all wherein my father was afflicted. So Solomon thrust out Abiathar from being priest unto the Lord, that he might fulfill the word of the Lord, which he spake concerning the house of Eli in Shiloh. Eighty years later, Abiathar, a descendant of Eli, is fired from the job and sent home without a job and without being able to be a priest because of God's judgment against Eli. Eighty years. The reign of Saul and the reign of David. Because Eli was before both. And this is after both in the reign of Solomon. How long did God give the world to repent? In the days of Noah, when they were the wicked, the, the thoughts of their hearts were only evil continually. How long? 120 years. Look at 1 Samuel 15. 1 Samuel 15. Who did Samuel anoint to be the first king of Israel? Saul. Israel came out of Egypt under what man? Moses. 
How many years of judges were there? 450. So let's round this baby off at 500 years because this is Saul being king. Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Doesn't God make it simple when He asks us to do something? It's pretty plain. It's sort of like being in your mouth and in your heart. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. If you go back through the Old Testament and you go to a verse like Deuteronomy 25 and verse 19, the Lord God Jehovah said that he had an issue with Amalek forever. And he waited 500 years for this event. Because when his church came up out of Egypt, the Amalekites mistreated them. 500 years. Now go and do it. And the Lord remembers exactly why and how thoroughly he wants them to be judged. This is the God of the Bible. One more of timing. When the Babylon of the New Testament began judging the church of Jesus Christ to when the Babylon of the New Testament is destroyed, what is the minimum number of years? 1,260. 1,260 years. Does God forget His church? No. Will He judge Babylon? He will judge Babylon. The book of Revelation is about that. Be sure your sin will find you out, brethren. I don't know where you're compromising, where you're cheating, where you're mixing with the world, where you're flirting with the world, where you're not keeping God's commandments, where you don't really care about the details, where you don't want to be as zealous as maybe others are. Maybe Paul was, maybe David was. You don't think you have to be quite that zealous. God doesn't really care if you're that zealous or not. Be sure your sin will find you out. You have been shown so much. You have been given so much. You have been convicted so much over the years that you have heard the preaching. If you want to cheat, be sure your sin will find you out in your finances, in your health, in your children, in your grandchildren, wherever it comes, be sure your sin will find you out. So what should we do? Repent. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Let's clean house. The inverse of the lesson is just as true. Be sure your righteousness will find you out. Those that are righteous... They'll be found out as well. They'll be blessed in the same way that the wicked are judged. And the Lord may take a while to do that. First Samuel 5.24 puts it this way about waiting on both, on both sides. This is an interesting verse. First Timothy 5.24 Some men's sins are open beforehand, going before to judgment, and some men they follow after. See, the timing is totally different from man to man depending on God's choice. Likewise, in this same way, Also, the good works of some are manifest beforehand, and they that are otherwise cannot be hid. If you don't get rewarded in this life, you'll get rewarded in the next life. And you know, if for some reason you don't get judged in this life for your sins, well, then you've got to meet God without Him chastening you in this life. That is not the way you want to meet Him, because that means you're a bastard and a reprobate, not one of His children, if He didn't chasten you for it in this life. 
and be sure your righteousness will find you out. Our brother Ed read to us today that in the keeping of God's Word, there is great reward in Psalm 19 and verse 10. And it says the same in James 1.25, Blessed is the man that continueth in the Word of God and examining his life, his life by it, his face by it, in the mirror of God's Word and getting rid of everything that the Word of God says he shouldn't be doing. Jesus said if you serve God faithfully in secret, He'll reward you openly. Right. It's essential that you examine yourself. No matter how small, subtle, or secret your sin, the great God in heaven, our Father, He's glorious and perfect and just and righteous and all that He does can tear you apart from the inside out if you don't repent of your sins. Be sure your sin will find you out. Are you seeking the Lord with your whole heart, with all your might, and with all your strength? His judgment may come in the area of your sin or can come in another area altogether, but His judgment will come. This isn't a hopeless sermon. Add this sermon to last Sunday's sermon about being a soul winner and save yourselves. Save me. I'll try to save you. Let's save each other from the righteous judgment and the chastening of the God of heaven that's our Father. But He taught His people, His church, with Moses, eight words. Be sure your sin will find you out. The timing can vary dramatically. The way that He does it dramatically. But God does not forget. He deserves us. He deserves our all. He deserves our perfect obedience. He deserves our complete love. Let's give that to Him. Right. Not out of just out of fear, but out of love. And for reward, He's promised reward. Be sure your righteousness will find you out. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word.